0: today to begin building on what we established last week the reality that Jesus Christ he lived he died he was buried but that he rose again the third day and the work on the cross was finished but Jesus is not done which means in our life there are going to be times where we think it's over and it's not so we're going to build on what we learned from resurrection weekend but how many of you uh, like me have noticed we had a pretty special weekend at coastline last week and, uh, man, I just want to stop and say to our church family, thank you all so much. The way you welcomed people, you're so hospitable. If you're a returning guest from Easter, we're glad you're here. Your presence made the day so exceptional. And uh, it was an incredible, incredible day. Uh, every time we have a special day like Easter, people want to know, well, what happened? And uh, you can't always quantify when something spiritual happens. And uh, yet we know that in a very practical way, we had multiple services Services and they were all great and God used each of them in a fantastic way I think the greatest thing I can share with you is the fact that last uh, week as I concluded each message We had a gospel invitation. We asked those that prayed uh, to go and receive one of these booklets And we had an opportunity there to meet them and uh, I don't know everyone's heart All right, but I do know this that last week just in our adult services There were 60 people that made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and that is what it's all about and uh, so I'm grateful for that, and uh, we had people baptized last week, and, and a few numbers I'll share with you. You know, my prayer in life, honestly, and, and as I'm uh, growing and, and getting a bit older, I'm still not old yet, amen? Hey, amen. it's kind of weak, all right, but uh, the second service likes me more than you guys do. We'll see how they do, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm coming to the place where I want the ceiling in my life to serve as the floor for those coming behind me. And I love the good that God's doing at Coastline, but I've got to tell you, I'm really excited when I see God working in the lives of our children. So I was looking at some of these numbers from our children last week. Let me share a few of them with you. In our nursery last Sunday, we had 121 children. Now, let me give you a little perspective. If you're three years old, you're not considered nursery age. We've got a separate uh, children's ministry, junior church, three and four on up to 12 hundred and twenty-one babies, two years old and under. That's incredible. I think we should clap now for all the nursery workers, okay? <laughs> and uh, in, in addition to that, we know that uh, there were babies that, that were brought in the service. Sometimes that happens. So I mean, there, there were more than that, but 121 uh, children. Our junior church last week had 301. That was incredible, and uh, I was glad for that. We'll clap for them, too. And then a lot of you know that uh, we have kind of like a bus ministry, it's been called over the years. We don't really have a bus. We have a shuttle bus and a van, and we've uh, done our best to reach into uh, parts of our community that we could say are underserved in terms of folks getting in and being a blessing from a church standpoint. We had 115 uh, children in our junior church for those that are ministered through in that way. Now, let me share this with you. That means that last Sunday, we had 537 people worship with us in our church who were 12 or younger that's amazing to me and uh that's a wonderful wonderful thing Uh, our spanish ministry had a great day last week of course they're really still just getting started they had 139 people and pastor hiro's doing great there and uh uh, all all in all about 2,000 people worshiped with us and we just had a fantastic fantastic weekend and i am so grateful for all that god did but specifically in addition to gratitude to what God did. I'm so thankful for what all of you did. And so thank you for loving God and and, uh, bringing people to a place where they can hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now for the next several weeks we're going to be studying the Bible together to learn how to handle those moments when it seems like hope is lost and things have come to an end. And there are things in our lives that come to an end. How many of you are glad this morning that at some point my sermon will come to an end, right? Can we say lunch, right? We all want to get to lunch. And uh, the last thing I told my wife before I came up here, if you want to know what spiritual thing did I whisper in her ear, I whispered in her ear, I'm hungry all right, and uh, that's what was on my mind as I was coming up here So this sermon will come to an end this day will come to an end at some point you go to bed So I mean there are those elements in our lives that that come to an end in that way But i'm talking about those times where it seems like our hopes for the future have been dimmed our, our optimism Our faith for what can happen has been dimmed and and there are some things that just don't need to come to an end Maybe today you're thinking of a marriage or relationship And and as you look to the future, you're not sure how that's going to be held together maybe Maybe you're in a crisis of faith and you're not sure if that's going to continue as, as you believe it should. And, and we do, as I said, have those times when hope is fading. We all hit those seasons in life. And as we're going to see today, please hear me, those seasons, those crisis moments, if you would, they contain incredible power to destroy or to develop. They contain incredible power that can build us or break us. And the difference in those opposites is how we handle those moments, how we respond in those moments. And we have an incredible passage of Scripture before us today that shares an occasion when it seemed that all was lost. Everyone would have thought it's over, but the narrative of this passage will reveal, no, it was not over. It was not over. We're going to find the closest followers of Jesus, along with some of Jesus' very best friends, and all of them were entertaining thoughts of despair. Yet through it all, Jesus encouraged them greatly. If you're able to join me in standing this morning as we read the passage, I'll invite you to do so, John chapter 11. And we're going to read far more verses this morning than I ordinarily would read, so this is not a time to check out mentally. Mentally. I'm going to ask you to follow along the storyline of this passage, John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Now we're introduced to a lot just in verse 1. We meet a man named Lazarus, we meet his sisters Mary and Martha, and they live in a city that is called Bethany. Bethany is a city just adjacent to Jerusalem. It's in that, that area, verse 2. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after he saith, uh, then after saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea. Again, Judea is a region, and in that region is where you'd find Jerusalem in this smaller bedroom community, Bethany. He said, All right, let's go. Two days had passed. He said, Let's go. Verse eight. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee. They want to kill you, Jesus, and and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there's no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go. That I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. They, they were saying, in other words, well, Jesus, if he's sleeping, let him keep snoozing. Sleeping's good. And they didn't know what Jesus was getting at. So we make our way now uh, into verse 13. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad, for your sakes, that I was not there. To the intent that ye may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now, Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off, and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, well, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Now I want you, if you would, to turn over to verse 43 in this same chapter. Skipping ahead a bit, in verse 43, the Bible says, And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Now I want you to turn back, if you would, to the end of verse 14, the beginning of verse 15. Jesus says there, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad. Now, when I read that together, I thought, wait a minute. Your good friend just died, and you're glad, and that's not exactly what he said. He said, Lazarus is dead, he died, and and he said, I'm glad for your sakes. But I want us to think of a God that has so much power that he he can attend, essentially, a funeral and say, I'm just so excited for what it is that's going to happen in this moment, in this place. Everyone in this scenario said, it's over. And Jesus said, it's not over. Our Father, open our hearts as we enter into your word and study today. Um, God, help us to be brutally honest with what it is your truth teaches us. May we be willing to make those changes and adjustments and to learn and to grow. We need you today and we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The intensity and pressure in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ in this moment, it was increasing incredibly. Our reading began in John chapter 11 and verse 1, but if we'd gone back and read John chapter 10, we would have found that Jesus had just been in the area where Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived, there in and around Jerusalem, and and while there, the religious leaders, they wanted to apprehend Jesus, they wanted to take him, and and, and so Jesus moved, The, the, the message comes, Lord Behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. That's the message Jesus received after he had left that region. Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. And I just love the wording in that statement. They, they did not even include the name of Lazarus. Lord, the, the, you need to know the one you love, he's sick. It was as though they were saying, Jesus, don't forget that you love him. And Jesus, you need to know that he needs you. I also noticed that in that message that was sent to Jesus that they did not tell Jesus what to do. They just said, Jesus, we want to make you aware of this. The one that you love, Lazarus, he, he is in need. He is sick I believe they understood that had Jesus returned to their town, the danger was imminent. The religious leaders were still on the lookout for Jesus. Maybe they hoped that he would come anyhow. Or maybe they hoped that Jesus would do as he had done before. That he would speak a word of healing. Even at a great distance, the spoken word of Jesus had power. Maybe they hoped Jesus would just speak a word and their brother would be healed. As we look in this passage... We see that there was a great pain in their hearts. Jesus was removed from them. The message comes of all that they're going through. Now, we know the end of the story, but sometimes we're in the middle of a story, and we're just not sure how it's going to end. We're in the valley, and we wonder, Lord, why did you let Lazarus die when just a spoken word would have made a difference? You know, when you're in the valley, you don't have the perspective of the, of the mountaintops to see. You're just kind of clouded. And, and uh, again, we know the end of this story, but, but it brings questions our way. Many times we are just left with our faith and with questions, and there's quite a tension between the two. So with hindsight, the Bible shares with us some powerful lessons we all need to learn. Here's the first thought I'll share with you today. Jesus has a purpose in our pain. Jesus has a purpose in our pain. Now, as this passage begins, we're introduced to Lazarus and his family, and it would appear that Mary and Martha and Lazarus were affluent people. They were friends and supporters of Jesus. They loved him. And again, the message that came from Mary and Martha was Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. He's sick. And again, the wording there was, was so important. And, and as that message came, Jesus gave his reply to the messenger. This is what Jesus said. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified. So Jesus said this sickness it's not unto death, but we know something, don't we? We know that Lazarus did die. He did in fact die and we also know that it was not over jesus was saying guys You need to know something. There's a bigger story here unfolding. It's not just about lazarus There's a lot going on. There's more than you can see and jesus was saying i've got a great purpose in the midst of this pain I know you don't understand it now. I know that you can't see it now I know that it's not clear now But the lord said you need to know something about me and what you need to know is that when you're in pain I always have a purpose for that season in your life now friends I cannot claim to know why you are going through what you're going through in your life We're all going through something But it might be good for us to know that God has a way of working in our lives in those times when we are hurting Sometimes it's good to know that what we call in life a setback is sometimes just a set up for a great working of God. I'm thankful for the Apostle Paul's words when in Romans 8 he said this, he said, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And Jesus said the purpose was this. He said the purpose was for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified. He said, listen, this is not all about Lazarus. And when we're going through a problem, we have a, we have a a propensity to get very self-centered and to think it's all about me and Jesus said listen I I know what you're going through I know what Lazarus is going through but there's a purpose here that's bigger than you it's not just about Lazarus it's that the father may be glorified and it's that me it's the son that I would be would be glorified the word glory there when the Bible says for the glory of God the word glory there uh, refers to God's manifest presence And especially in a way that his presence is made known. There was a work taking place here that would ultimately take Jesus to the cross. It was, it was bigger than what they knew at that time. I love it. Jesus said, here's the purpose. It's that the manifest presence of God would be made known in your lives. And the purpose is that me as God's son, that I would at one point be lifted up, would be glorified. And Jesus there speaking of the work on the cross of Calvary. And I'm glad to tell you today, I love this thought that in my pain, God's manifest presence can be known. Sometimes in our deepest valleys, we get to see God in the greatest way. I'm glad to know that when I'm hurting, God is still present and he's still working. The psalmist in Psalm 34 said, The Lord is nigh or he's close unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Friends, remember that our story is larger than we can comprehend. For Mary and Martha, the story of all of the world revolved around what was happening in the life of their brother. It's bigger than that. Uh, Our lives intersect with so many others, and ultimately our story connects to Jesus Christ. And when it seems that our story is hitting a conclusion, remember that God can use our pain as a twist in the plot to bring about a greater message, that there is a purpose in our pain. Here's the second element I'll share with you this morning. Jesus works his purpose by way of a process. If you're still with me, say amen. Now, I know I just said that there's a purpose in our pain. You'd say, great, what's the purpose? And I would say, I can't say exactly, because like Martha and Mary, I too am in a valley in the sense that I can't see all that's coming before and after and around, and, and I don't always know that, but I know that there is a purpose in all of our lives in our pain that, that the manifest presence of God would be made known, that we would come to know the Lord in a deeper way, and that Jesus would be exalted in our lives. But God's purpose, it works by way of a process. Now, two things happen here that each of them seem out of place. Here's the first thing that we read in verse 5, if you want to look there with me. The Bible says there that Jesus abode two days still in the same place where he was. So in verse 5, we find that Jesus responds. He gets the news of Lazarus. He hangs out still for two days. And then in verse 6, we read this Jesus told his disciples, Let us go again into Judea. Uh, Let us go into Judea again. Now, what's interesting about this, verse 5, Mary and Martha uh, thinking, Jesus, two days staying in the same place, uh, they would have thought, Jesus, you're late. You're late. Two days, you, you received news of what we were going through. You you knew what Lazarus, the one you love, was going through. In two days, it seemed as though you did nothing. Jesus, you're late. That was their response to verse five. Verse six, Jesus said, All right, let's go. The apostles would have said, You're early. They want to kill you back there. It's it's too early to go back. And and, and it didn't matter what Jesus did. There were going to be people on either side that would say, you're doing it wrong. Your timing seems completely off here. In fact, in verse 8, the disciples said, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? They said, Jesus, what are you doing? This is the wrong time to go there. Friends, I've got to tell you today, I've been a Christian for a long time, and I am routinely shocked at how strange the process of God's work seems to be in my life. I'm almost always saying, God, you're way too late. Come on, pick up the pace. Let's go, God. Come on, I'm way out front. And other times I'm thinking, God, this is just too early. It's not the right time. Uh, It's not not ready. And and his timing seems so strange. But God told us this in Isaiah 55. He said, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Sometimes God's process just seems strange to our way of thinking. I was thinking of last weekend, and I know Easter's an anomaly in a sense, um, but man, I was just looking around and every service full to overflowing, nurseries full to overflowing, children's services full to overflowing, and, and uh, just seeing what God's doing in the life of our church right now. And, and um, uh, I, I just began to think, you know, we're moving into a season where we're saying as a church, we're going to have to do something to address the spatial needs. If we want to keep reaching more people, uh, we're going to have to do something. In fact, I would say with a 20-year track record of growth, we could pretty much say, Lord, if you continue to do that which you've done, we've got to start acting right now or there won't be space to reach more people. And friends, hear me today. A church that won't respond to the needs in advance, they don't deserve to reach more people for Jesus Christ. Faith has to lead the way. As I've been thinking on all this, I've gone back in my mind's eye, and some of you have heard this story, but it's so good it bears repeating. I remember when we were closing escrow on this property years ago, and um, we were doing our very best. Our church had received offerings, and yet we knew we were coming down to just the final days when escrow was the close, and we were $100,000 short of closing escrow. And uh, I was a nervous wreck. I want to live by faith, and I do my best, but I live in an earth suit that sometimes has an involuntary response to pressure. And uh, uh, I I don't like this about me. I'm not saying it's good, but, I I mean, I was stressed out, losing weight, all this stuff, because here we are. We're coming in, and we're just days away, and we, we don't have the money to close escrow. And I remember some papers came my way that had they had been late in coming I'm going over them and I learned something literally it's just the few days left here I, I learned that as we were buying this entire 4.89 acre property that the dirt just under this building So it included just this building. It was under a lease already Another another bank had leased this property and they had 12 years left on their lease Now this building had been sitting vacant for almost 10 years what had happened was some banks had merged and they had another branch down the street and so they just abandoned this one they couldn't get out of the lease so they were just paying rent on a building they hadn't used in almost 10 years and uh i thought it's over we don't have the money and even if we had the money the building we want to use to have church services in it's already occupied it's over so i thought well i'll call on this and see what's going on and i got an agent and kind of explained hey we're buying this property and our intention was to use that and i I just found out that that building's uh, under lease. And he said, I see what you're getting at. And I wasn't getting at anything. I was trying to uh, get some information, find out what's going on. Uh, To make a long story short, uh, as as we got closer to the deadline, the clock was ticking. The bank that held a lease on this property that we didn't even know about until a few days before escrow closed, they negotiated with us to get out of their lease. And they wired to our escrow account on the day our our escrow closed on this property $100,000 to get out of that lease and to close escrow on this property and all along I said it's over and God all along was saying it's not over would you just trust me sometimes we say God you're late sometimes we say God you're early and God I don't like the way you're doing this and what are you doing over there and and I want you to know that that Jesus works his purpose by way of a process you see in this occasion Jesus knew uh, how things were going to go we we know first Jesus knew that Lazarus listen to this as Jesus is speaking with his followers, Jesus knew Lazarus had actually already died. As you do the math and take into account that Lazarus was in the grave four days, we read that, you learn that when Jesus was told that Lazarus was sick, he had actually died when when the messengers were making their way to Jesus. In fact, even later in verse 14, Jesus said, Lazarus is dead. So he's God. He already knows. Lazarus already died. Furthermore, as we study John's gospel, we learn that Jesus was very aware of the timeline and the schedule of events for his life. He knew that the cross was right around the cross corner and Jesus was working his timing in such a way where he not only would minister to Lazarus and Mary and to Martha but as he once again emerged in the region of Judea there at the city of Jerusalem that was going to be the time in his life where they would take him to the cross in the midst of our trials God had this massive divine schedule that was unfolding it looked as though Jesus was operating out of order but his process unfolded precisely as it needed to happen. That leads us to the third element I'll share with you this morning. Jesus' process always includes preparing or preparation. Now, Jesus had told his followers at first, if you remember as we read it, that Lazarus was sleeping. He was sleeping. And that would become, for the remainder of the New Testament, kind of an expression that Christians would use to refer to other people of faith, Who had died and i've got news for you today if you're here and you know that you have a relationship with god through faith in jesus christ the bible says you've been born again into god's family and that you've received eternal life the day may come if the lord tarries is coming the day may come in your life and certainly it will in the course of time if jesus doesn't return where our physical bodies will die but we're still very much alive at that point So rather than saying a person of faith had died, the the New Testament Christians would just say they've they've gone asleep. They're still living. Yet Jesus said, here, Lazarus is sleeping. His disciples, they didn't get the nuance. They thought he was literally taking a nap. In verse 14, the Bible says, Then said Jesus unto them plainly, He's dead. Lazarus is dead. And I am glad. Listen to this. Lazarus is dead. Your friend, the one you love." Lazarus is dead and Jesus says, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that ye may believe. What a shocking statement. My friend Lazarus, he died and I'm glad for the way it all turned out. It happened just as it should. And Jesus said, and the reason I'm glad is because this is a time in which your faith is going to be built and prepared and developed for the next big thing you're heading into. Jesus was underscoring here that his process always includes a time of training and preparation for what is to come next. You know, sometimes in life we work so hard we want to build a family, we want to build a career, we want to build our lives in general. And we forget that God is interested in building us spiritually from the inside out. It's never over. When you have a Savior like that, Paul taught us in Philippians 1 and verse 6, he said, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now again, knowing all that was to come, Jesus knows, hey, I'm gonna go back there. They think I'm going back for a funeral for Lazarus. What they don't know is what I'm gonna do when I get to the funeral. And they also don't know that the cross is the next big event on my schedule. Uh, I'm going back there. Uh, They they don't know what's to come. But Jesus was saying this, disciples, I'm gonna use this time to train you because there's coming a time very shortly where I'm gonna die on a cross, I'm gonna be buried, I'm gonna rise again from the dead, and I'm gonna ascend to the right hand of God the Father. And guys, you need this experience so that I can put some things in your life that will help you for that experience. Jesus says, let's go. And in verse 16, one of the apostles, Thomas, says this. He said, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, let me tell you what that statement is. That's a statement from one person of faith and fear. Jesus gets news of Lazarus. He waits two days. No one can figure out why from that point of view. From this point of view, Jesus finally says, after two days, let's go. And Thomas says, all right, we're going to go with you, and we're going to die when we get there. Jesus, I have faith. If you want to go, I'll go. But I've got enough fear to say, I want you to know that I do think when we get there, it's going to be over. And Jesus had to teach Thomas, nope, it's not over. That was faith, and that was Fear he was saying it's never gonna work out, but i'll go with you anyhow and thomas was an interesting man We often think of thomas as doubting thomas That's kind of a nickname that has stuck with thomas over the years, but I want you to know something about thomas Thomas was a man who after the resurrection of jesus christ He took the gospel into what we would call today syria and from syria He went into modern-day india and he preached the truth of the resurrection of jesus christ and history records that one day while thomas is preaching the gospel message having been told to stop preaching of Jesus that four soldiers came on him at the same time with their spears and they literally pierced him through this is Thomas the man who we're seeing in this passage is a man of of a little faith and fear faith and fear Thomas his name means twin we never meet his twin in the Bible but you know in some ways Thomas was kind of Two people in one. He was a man of incredible faith and a man of incredible fear. And I think we're all that way. I know I am. This is a man who had great faith in God, and yet he had great fear as well. But as he grew in his life, he became overwhelmingly known as a man of great faith. Jesus was allowing this season in Thomas' life as a time of training, of of building, of preparation. It it, it was a time that was going to move Thomas to the next stage of his life. Let me tell you about the love of Jesus in your life. It's a true love. Hear me today. It's not a pampering love. It's a perfecting love jesus is far more concerned with your character than he is with your comfort and you'd better believe that he will allow every one of these difficult things to which we go in life to serve a greater purpose of building us and leading us and preparing us for what it is he has for us next to do we are so often like martha in this passage who look look to the past Jesus comes, and she looks to the past in verse 21. She said, Jesus, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Jesus, here we are in the present, and I want to talk to you about the past. I'm a bit disappointed. Had you been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now think of that statement. That's a powerful statement because that statement is a statement of faith. She confessed, Jesus, I believe you had power to intervene in my brother's illness. I believe that you could have done something, but you didn't, and there's the fear. And many times we are like Martha in that sense, and and she she was in this process of trying to figure out, God, what are you doing? And Jesus said in this time to Martha that his work would shed light on the past. Martha, when I get you to there, you'll understand what the past was all about. And Martha, I'm preparing you for the future. And Martha, never forget, I'm right here with you in the present tense, working in your life. I'm with you. Jesus sees our trials as just kind of a blip on the radar screen. When we're living them, they're all consuming. But He knows where we've been and He knows where we're going. And praise God, He knows right where we are. And while we are trying to build our way out of our pain, He is building our lives so that we have all that we need. The final thought I'll share with you today is this Jesus' preparation is very personal it's very personal so after four days jesus finally arrives in bethany again it's a suburb or a bedroom community of jerusalem and this is this is the hot spot in terms of those wanting to kill jesus so four days later he arrives here and and the grieving was still ongoing uh funerals at this time were a massive ordeal that took a lot of time and a lot of times in other cultures, people would demonstrate how much they love someone by how big of a deal they could make over a funeral. They would literally hire people to come and just scream and wail and so forth. And, and yet we know for Christians it's not to be that way. The Bible says as Christians we still grieve, but we don't do it like those that have new, uh, no hope. But, but in this time that was still part of the culture And uh, there's a lot going on, and and this is all still taking place. And and, uh, as Jesus arrives, Martha sees him coming. She goes out to meet him, and as they talk, she shared that if Jesus had been there, her brother would be alive. And I think there's a bit of a sting in those words. And at the same time, it was really a statement of faith. In verse 23, we read, thy brother shall rise again. Now, listen, friends, as we've seen, she didn't understand it all. But when she thought of the resurrection, she was thinking of a day in the future. But Jesus said, Martha, let's get really personal for a minute. I said, your brother's going to rise again. And your thought is, well, I know in that day, Martha, it sounds to me like your faith is in a day. Why don't we bring it a little bit closer? And so in verses 25 and 26, Jesus said this. He said, Martha, I'm the resurrection. The resurrection is not a point in time. It's not a day on a future calendar. I'm the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then he asked her point blank, believest thou this? Martha answered, yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Jesus was teaching us that our faith is not to be placed in some day on a calendar or some religion or some book or anything else. It is to be always and altogether about Jesus Christ. He was saying, Martha, you believe my teaching, but you need to understand that that needs to come to me. You need to believe me. And when you have me, Jesus would say, you have everything you need to go through these times in your life that bring pain I was talking with my daughter Jessica last night and um we we were talking about some different things in life why we do the things we do and and um and I told her I said you know I just have had the best time in my life being a dad it's just been the best and uh, of course it changes your kids get a little older but it's still good and and, uh, but I just, I loved it when my kids were little I just loved it, I loved every bit of it and, You know, I can have some great memories in my mind's eye of times when Jessica or Julie uh, My daughters would come to me and say Dad, do you have a minute? Do you have a minute? Um, the answer was always Yes, what do you need? Now if it was, Dad, do you have a dollar? Or, you know, something like that It was like, yeah, give me a minute, I'll get back to it, you know." But it was like, Dad, I need you And I was delighted, overjoyed, thrilled To say, you got me You got all of me and when they would come to me and say dad uh, You you got a minute. I'd say yeah, you got you. You got it. Whatever you need. Uh, They would have my attention they would have my focus they had my heart. I mean, I was wrapped around their finger, no doubt about it. I mean, they, they had me. In fact, the reality is, when they started with, Dad, we just want you. Can we have some time with you? Uh, they would not only get the attention and the focus and all those things, a- at that point, had they wanted my wallet, they could have had that too. When they started with, Dad, I just need some time with you. I need you. Why? Because when they had me, they would have whatever I had to give them. They'd get any wisdom I had to offer, all the compassion I could muster, any resource at my disposal. When they had me, they had everything I had to give. And Friends, I want you to know that when you draw close to Jesus in the pressure moments of life, what you're going to find is his purpose. And as you find that, you're going to find his process. And as you find his process, you're going to see that it's a process that includes his preparation. And in time, you'll get to know him more personally. The problem is a lot of times when we're going through these moments, we're like those in this story in which we read. We're, we're kind of critiquing God. Hey, you're a little late over here and you're a little early over here. And I don't like how you handled that. Come on, let's go. And, and yet Jesus is saying, let me tell you something. What you need is me. I am the resurrection. I am the life. I'm the reason for it all. This is bigger than just you. This is about God's will unfolding in the world today. And your life intersects with others, but ultimately it all comes back to me. And When we go through those times of pain, what we need to say is, Jesus, I just need you. Lord, I don't have all the sense in all of the world to tell you what it is that needs to be done I'm just gonna trust you in this instance as an all-loving heavenly father to do that which is most needed But God I need you and when you more personally and closely come into relationship with God You'll rest in the fact that he has a purpose now you may or may not know it in that moment But God praise you you have a purpose God you have this process through which you're leading me and God you're preparing me for that which is to come next and All of it's based on that personal relationship with God We're gonna have those times where we're gonna think in our hearts. It's over But when you have a God who killed death It's never over Our father we're thankful today to know that there was not a funeral service in all of the Bible that Jesus attended where he did not raise the dead back to life Lord there are times in our lives where the biggest thing we can say is it's over it's through it's done it's never going to be the same it's never going to be as good but Lord we're thankful to know that all that which is good to the use of edifying in our lives that you're there to build us and to teach us and to lead us and to guide us and and God, I know this is not just theory today. This is theology, but beyond that, God, I know that I'm, I'm preaching to people this morning, many of whom came in this room, and, and they know what it is to be in the midst of a trial. They know what it is to hurt and have that kind of pain. And Lord, I pray that the truth of the power of your resurrection would not be something we simply celebrate on an Easter Sunday, but the truth of that would be a message that so permeates us that as we go through life, we rest in the fact that even when we don't know what the future holds, we know of a God who does hold the future, and it brings peace. God, as we're scrambling to try and build things up in our life, may we rest in the fact that that more than trying to just build resources, that you're building us literally from the inside out. And God, I pray that this matter of a relationship with you would be made certain, and that for those that are certain, that it would be growing, so that you can lead us to where it is you'd have us to go in the course of our lives. Help us, we pray our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning and maybe you're here in this moment you'd say you know pastor you you talked about mary and martha they're hurting because of their brother's sickness and death and you talk about the disciples they just weren't sure what was going on you wait the lord waited and then he gets going and, and and maybe you'd say today pastors you're explaining just kind of the unique pressures that surround these moments in life maybe you're here today you'd say you know i kind of know what that's about Maybe you'd say today, you know, this, this was a message, frankly, that contained some, some truths for me. I wonder, are there those this morning by the testimony, just to quickly raise hand and say, you know, Pastor, in this study today, there were some things that I think applied to my life. Are there those like that this morning? Wonderful.